Welcome to the Cardboard Herald Reviews, where we give you audio versions of our game reviews, then go behind the scenes of our creative process. Mystic Veil, designed by John D. Clare, published by AEG in 2016. Two to four players, 45 minutes. Review written by Jack Eddy, published November 1st, 2016, on the Cardboard Herald. You can't copyright a game mechanic. Unlike the tech industry, board gaming allows you to take the best parts of other designs and implement them in new and clever ways, often improving on the original. And yet, there's a certain prestige that comes with being the first to popularize a feature. Games like Dominion and Pandemic are modern classics, in part by the strength of their designs and the continued support by their publishers, but also because they popularize certain genres and specific mechanics that hundreds of games can trace their lineage to. AEG's 2016 release Mystic Veil chases that prestige through its innovative card crafting system. Though the game is structured like a deck-building game, the centerpiece of the design is its clear upgrade cards, which are overlaid and combined in a sleeve to create powerful combinations. But innovation alone is not enough to become a classic. A game also has to be fun. In Mystic Veil, each player is a druid tending to the wilds, aided by spells, spirits, and beasts. Players compete to gain shards, upgrades, and veils to have the most points by the end of the game. Shards are tokens produced by a variety of card effects that are simply worth points, but they come from a limited pool that, when emptied, triggers the end of the game. Upgrades are the clear plastic cards that are added to your deck, producing valuable resources, points, or abilities when they come up in future turns. Veils are beautifully illustrated landscape cards that most often are only worth points and exist outside of your play area, though occasionally they will aid you in some way during future turns. Both veils and upgrades have multiple tiers of strength and cost, with each tier shuffled into a separate stack, and a certain number are made available to purchase at a time. Each turn, players put into play cards from the top of their deck until a third corruption symbol is visible. The card containing the third symbol will be placed face up on top of their deck, conveniently referred to in the game as your on-deck card. Only the resource production and abilities of the cards in your field, not on deck, will be resolved. But there is a push-your-luck element. If you want your on-deck card to be part of your field, gaining its effects and resources, you can push and move it into play and reveal the next card of your deck. If you ever show a fourth corruption symbol between your on-deck and field cards, you spoil, aka bust, and your turn is over. There's a slight consolation to spoiling in that you will reactivate a token that can be spent for one additional money on a future turn. From there, the rest of your turn consists of resolving any abilities on your cards, then spending your money to buy upgrades and magic to buy veils. Upgrades are slotted into cards currently in play as you discard them, veils are put to the side, then you begin setting up your playfield as your opponent begins their next turn. As with almost all deck-building games, if you run out of cards to draw, your discard pile is shuffled together to recreate your deck, which now contains the upgrades you purchase on previous rounds. 
Visually, the game looks really great on the table. The clear cards are interesting, the veils are vibrant, and the card backs have some really incredible designs. I'm not kidding, I'm stunned by how beautiful the card backs to the player cards and veils are, which is in stark contrast to how drab the blank spaces on your cards are. When you end up with a horde of cards in front of you, and most of them are the same generic pale green, it detracts from how cool the rest of the game looks. Fortunately, the empty spaces become less and less as you go. Unfortunately, most of the upgrades in the setting as a whole feel like an abandoned pitch for a Magic the Gathering expansion. Quickly, you will stop looking at the artwork as it provides absolutely no thematic connection to what the card does, and you will begin seeing your deck as a collection of resources. This may be familiar to fans of the deck-building genre, but in a game with such an interesting theme and concept, the implementation could have been done much more skillfully. In spite of the game being all about living things, nothing about the game feels alive. I have really mixed feelings about Mystic Veil. The concept of the game is solid and the card crafting system is intuitive and fun, but the trappings are clunky and it lacks the elegance that I was hoping for. As you shuffle your cards together, it's nearly impossible to ignore that certain cards are thicker and heavier, alerting you to your most powerful cards. The push and spoil systems are interesting at first, but it can lead to explosive turns with 10 or more cards in front of you, which you have to count and resolve several different resource types, abilities, and effects. There's an inconsistency to these huge turns as well, so you may be deciding on what course to take for 2 or 3 minutes while your opponent watches, already aware that their meager turn will last about 10 seconds with virtually no resources. It feels unpredictable, and almost always in a bad way. The upgrade and veil cards are mixed bags as well. As I said earlier, I really like the feeling of power that comes as you customize each card and see it enter rotation again. The upgrades each take up a third of the card's real estate so it can fill an empty top, middle, or bottom section of your sleeved card, making for some very powerful combinations. But because the cards are revealed from randomized decks for each tier, certain upgrades you want won't fit right in the cards that you have this round, or you'll decide to buy upgrades that aren't optimal only to see what you really wanted flip up so that your opponent can purchase it. You are still making meaningful choices in this game, but I wish there were ways to cycle cards in the store more frequently, allowing you to attempt different strategies and combos thoughtfully rather than taking only the best of what you can get. This leads to the biggest problem with Mystic Veil. It is really easy to establish a runaway leader. Every game I've played has had a significant disparity between first place and everyone else. Without player interactivity to knock them down or some sort of rubber banding to catch back up, it is pretty obvious who is going to win by the last third of the game. I'm hoping in more plays that more subtle strategic decisions become apparent that can balance out the game more, but this will be the most significant deciding factor I have in whether I keep this game in my collection or not. Fortunately, the game moves pretty quick, and whether you are receiving optimal cards or not, you always have the substantial joy that comes from optimizing your deck, witnessing it grow more and more powerful with each turn. I don't hate Mystic Veil. Vale. In fact, I actually look forward to playing it again and experimenting with different approaches to see if it changes up the game a bit, but it can be a clunky, uneven experience, and while the card crafting system is novel, here the implementation lacks depth. I can't help but feel that a second edition of Mystic Veil, vale, one with a bit more player agency and interactivity, could round this out into an excellent product, but with money, space, and time being such a limiting factor for most players, I'd wait till someone else does it better. 
After all, you can't copyright a game mechanic. was so clever back in the day, bookending that with you can't copyright a game mechanic at the beginning and at the end. It's still a little rough. It's a little rough going back to that review. I think I've definitely honed my craft a little bit more, uh, developed a sense of style and definitely organization and editorialization. Uh, there were several times reading that review where I was having to trip over my words and reread it over and over again but still there's there's a little diamond under that rough uh i i i enjoyed going back and reading this review now mystic veil vale itself let me put it this way even to this day when i play it which it's still in my collection i i should say and maybe i'm a little bit more favorable to it now than i was at the time it is so disheartening uh, when you're sitting there and uh, your opponent, in this case my ruthless wife, across from me, like I just had a turn that was kind of like a, I don't know, a wet fart. It was like, oh, I got four money and we're almost near the end of the game, but luck just so happened that I got that and so I got to buy oh, something that gave me one point. And then I watch her literally draw 17 out of 20 cards in her deck. She's got 42 money all because things came up in the perfect order for her. And that happens a lot. Every game, there's some explosive turns like that. They're very unpredictable uh, and very hard to organize. Uh, but the biggest ticket to getting that to happen is a little uh, green token uh, or, or green symbol that counteracts the, the corruption symbols. And as soon as those come onto the the purchasing area the store everyone goes to grab them first because they have such huge ramifications for the rest of your game so aside from that the game is kind of a standard deck builder that has a kind of interesting theme that they don't do much with and um the fun of putting clear plastic lithograph cards on top of each other which may be your bag or maybe it isn't I think we're probably going to end up trading it away, but we haven't yet because we tend to like to rotate in games and it's fun and it's somewhat mindless and it looks really cool. There is a, a real kinesthetic enjoyment out of building your deck and slotting those cards in and you know seeing them rotate. It, it's satisfying in what it sets out to do, but as far as the structure of a good game, ugh, it is supremely mediocre um and that's that's still how i feel about a year later from writing this review so i think that things remain the same in the eyes of the cardboard herald now speaking of cardboard herald thank you so much for listening to another episode of the cardboard herald reviews i want to remind you that we publish these every other week on the iTunes and Stitcher, as well as our own site, www.cardboardherald.com. But it is not the only podcast that we produce. Our flagship title is The Cardboard Herald. It's an interview show where we talk with creative gamers and game creators, anyone that we could possibly talk to in this industry, hobby, or tangential interest. So if you like board gaming, tabletop gaming, you should also check out that podcast. 
You should also go to our website, again, CardboardHerald.com. We have a bunch of new reviews, which will eventually make their way onto this channel, including reviews by guest contributors John L.S. Foster, who is sometimes co-host for the Cardboard Herald podcast. And we also have now a contributor, Luke Minch, who is the... Uh, owner, operator, founder of Budget Board Gamer YouTube series uh, that you can find. You should check it out, subscribe to his stuff, but he is now contributing stuff to the Cardboard Herald as well. He has two written pieces on there, a review of Champions of Midgard and a review, uh, well, I guess it's not a review, it's an article of uh, Board Gaming on a Budget, which is kind of his bag. So you should definitely check those out, and I can't wait to have both him and John on this podcast reading their own reviews because their style is so different than mine, but they have really cool voices and I'm honored to have them on the show. So with all that, you go ahead and do all this stuff. You talk to people, you tell them to listen to the show, you tell them to listen to our other stuff, you subscribe, you like, you know, the social media stuff. And bottom line, I want you to be having fun and feeling entertained by this stuff. So feel free to hit me up on Twitter, at CardboardHerald, or send me an email, CardboardHerald at gmail.com, especially if you disagree with my review. I want to fight with you on air, or maybe I'll just read it as listener mail. And I guess with that, I've been Jack Eddy for the Cardboard Herald, and you keep on gaming.